0: uh, My house is half on fire,
1: (laughs) and one of my kids has a bloody nose right now.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 7S Society podcast. I am Dr. Cody Krillman. Today, I have my wonderful friends with me. We have Dr. Dan and Dr. Adam joining us from sunny Chicago. How are you guys doing? Hey, hey doing great cody how are you uh everything is great in alberta uh looks like things are opening up so we are uh we're, we're good to go so far so today have, have, <laughs> haven't been shaved had no shaven no haircut the last what uh two months oh no, i I'm, I'm impressed with this beard oh, shaving, i uh, <laughs> barely do i think i've neck shaved like That's twice really neck i've i'm super bummed out because it's almost time for uh it's almost time for our our once scheduled california 7s dates and we've already missed texas and it just makes me so sad that there could have been four events so far since uh since lockdown happened uh think of all the fun times that could have been had Particularly since our first one, we promised us Disney,
2: right? You got, you got, you got to experience some real time barbecue, Southern barbecue.
0: That's right. I know. I um, I'm I'm missing the United States right now. It's been a long time since I've been back. So soon, I'm sure soon we will we'll get this thing figured out. Maybe not California. California looks like it's a mess, but uh, maybe we'll go to another state. Maybe we'll start in like Idaho next.
2: Well, you spent so much time in California, I thought they were going to make you a permanent I resident.
0: Right. I, I could technically run for governor if, if I have to.
2: <laughs> there you go.
0: <laughs> well, today on the podcast, what I wanted to do is talk about onboarding new veterinarians. Uh, Tis the season, right? It's that time of year we're getting close when all of the new graduates or some of the new graduates are coming into practices all over the world. And uh, it it got me thinking a lot about my own experience as a new associate coming into a veterinary clinic, but then also uh, some of the horror stories as well. Uh, I I can think of so many sort of Uh, times when especially in like maybe a smaller practice or a rural mixed animal practice where the new graduate uh, comes uh, you know very nervous first day on the job and the practice owner says Uh, I'm going on summer vacation. I haven't had a vacation for seven years. So uh, you guys have fun, and I'll see you in the fall. And uh, it It still happens. still occurs, unfortunately. It (laughs) still happens. But it's not... um, I I shouldn't I wouldn't say that it should should be industry standard. I wanted to be able to you know talk about my experiences and and get feedback from you guys as well as to what it looks like at your practices when a new veterinarian comes in. So maybe some of the listeners who are uh, new graduates. Can, can kind of think about what they can expect or, or maybe help and try to modify in terms of those expectations. Or also for practice owners, uh, you know, maybe there's some newer practice owners that haven't lived through some of the failures that we've all lived through as mentors of new graduates uh, to just make this, the process as streamlined as possible. So when I think about my first time Uh, coming into the the veterinary clinic that that I worked at the first uh, the first day out of vet school I it it was not a bad experience by any means in terms of being mentored with 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 medicine but it was completely disorganized in terms of I had no equipment I had no boots I had no coveralls um, there I I didn't have I didn't have a vehicle that was part of the practice that I had joined is every associate uh, got an on-call vehicle that we could that we could drive home and I had to ride my bike to work because I didn't I literally did not have a, a vehicle I didn't it was this year until I've had my own vehicle I I had a vehicle when I was 17 years old and I did not have a car again until this year besides what i had used at, at my practice so it uh you know i rode my bike to work i had i had no cell phone because i was also supposed to get a cell phone so i had no way to like call anybody and it went on for weeks and weeks where i just like was kind of in the state of limbo um I, i got shown an office which was basically an old storage room that didn't have any office equipment i didn't have a computer access to a laptop i didn't have anything at all and and I I remember like calling my wife from the veterinarian that I was riding around with because we were all out in the field right and I would I would call my wife I'd have to ask him like a little kid can I borrow your cell phone so I can call home (laughs) and I'd be like yeah we're gonna be late it's like seven o'clock and she's like when are you getting your phone I'm like I don't know she's like when are you getting your truck I'm like I don't know nobody's telling me anything so all of that really just just stuck in my mind as to how can I make this experience better when I'm a practice owner. And, and you know, those were all things that I tried to mitigate later on in life was making sure that there was full expectation uh, management from everybody, you know, within the system, but then also the person that we were hiring. So we had... To, you know, we had full systems in place to make it as easy as possible uh, for them to walk into the clinic so they could just focus on what they need to focus. And that is the goal of becoming a great veterinarian.
2: Yeah, I I agree. It's funny. I think everybody remembers a few things about um, their professional career, obviously, the day they graduate. And I think right up there is the day that they start their first job. And I can still remember here almost three decades later, Starting my very first job as a newly minted uh, graduate graduate uh, veterinarian, and I and I think um, you know I was obviously dirt poor. I think what little money I had, I I put on my first month of rent. I was driving around with a big old jalopy that was you know sucking up like a quart of oil uh, like every every month, and here I was uh, with my little starch uh, shirt, my my little. I think I had one tie at that time. And of course, my white jacket, I show up on my very first day. And I don't think anybody even knew outside of the owner, I was supposed to be there.
0: And, <laughs> oh, that's and, classic. It is and you classic.
2: know, I, I look at the receptionist and she's like, uh, well, welcome aboard. Uh, by the way, get get your butt into surgery. You've got like seven spays. And, um, and I think the hospital was a four doctor hospital and we had like two technicians, and, and I, I can still remember going home during lunch, and I literally had to take off my shirt, my undershirt, because I was sweating so profusely from the morning. And it is funny, you mentioned about the vacation. I remember the, uh, the owner of the practice coming to me and said, hey, I, I'm going on vacation in about two weeks, so um, we're going to need you to already pick up a couple of extra days. And that was the time when you started that uh, you also were on ER duty. So I would have this little beeper that I would have. And I remember that was one of the first things they handed me is, uh, we'll, we'll show you at some point in time how to handle the beeper, but always be around a phone because um, back then we didn't have uh, regular cell phones and so forth. And I got a whopping $10 for every ER visit uh, that I would, uh, would come in on. So yeah, I remember those uh, days. And you're right. I mean, it, it certainly made a profound effect on me So that uh, when I moved into ownership, it was going to be radically, uh, radically different.
0: So now the $10,000 question I've been waiting for, Uh, Adam, did you first start working out of vet school for Dr. Dan?
1: I did. Oh, so uh... so
0: tell me about how much different and how streamlined and what professional management (laughs) he had implemented (laughs) when you came into the clinic, because I can't wait.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I will give Dan credit. I mean, my, my two issues on my first day, I, I self imploded. So Dan, uh, to his credit, he built me up. He made me feel very receptive when I got there, but part of the buildup, I remember my first case, uh, I want to say it was like an ear infection with the bordetella, And I'm like, you know, I, I was trying to show to the technicians that, uh, I'm willing to help out. So I drew up my own vaccine and I was about to give it to the dog. And, uh, the lead technician, Mandy, uh, she's like, hey, Dan, you're, uh, your boy Adam here it looks like he's going to be a bonk. He's trying to give an intranasal bordetella to this dog uh, through injection. So to rebound from that, Mandy later brings a dog up from from grooming, and she's like, hey, this dog has some bloody diarrhea, and I immediately went into school mode. Now, at this time, Dan's big motto was always remain humble and, and ask questions Well. I wanted to show everybody how, how smart I was. So I decided to take this case on my own and said, let's run some clotting profiles and x-rays and let's do a full CBC chem and a fecal smear. And I'm going down this whole thing. So when the owners show up, they have like a $900 bill for a, a $25
2: (laughs) grooming. That's colitis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, so Dan had to pull me aside and go, Adam, I appreciate your eagerness, but this is your classic case. So to your point, I take both those things to heart. I mean, on the first day when I pull these guys aside, I said, look, I mean, these these technicians are the ones you want to win over. And the second thing on these groomings, these are the common things you're going to see. Please do not take advantage of these owners' credit card. I mean, it's all about communication, but that was not the day I was expecting. I, I was going in there thinking it's going to be all bells and whistles and everybody um, clapping how, how great I am. But I uh, I was definitely humbled that day for sure.
0: Oh, uh, it, it sounds, it it sounds like it was uh, that Dan was reasonably prepared to bring on a new associate that day. So, uh, he I don't had, know. This, he had, this could,
1: uh, be a, <laughs> this could be a four hour conversation about giving Dan 20 ulcers. I think on my second day, I asked Dan when I was going to be partner and, um, when I could bump up my, pr- my production percentage. That,
0: that's great. It's all about attitude and effort, right? that's right the two a's A's, attitude effort (laughs) Uh, that's the common canadian spelling so (laughs) so why don't we back it up those are kind of our first experiences but um you know when i'm thinking about this there's there's before that that new associate walks into the door uh, there's kind of two parts. It's managing their expectations, and then it's also managing the the rest of the clinic's expectations as well as to who this person is. Uh, like like you said, Dan, that is not the first time that a new a new employee has showed up at a vet clinic and everybody is like, Oh, I guess we have a new vet now. That's, that's convenient. And, and that, <laughs> that definitely uh, isn't the way that, that it should be right. It, there should be a system and process in, you know, in, in line to make sure that everybody uh, understand, understands who's coming in, why they're coming in, how things are going to change. Uh, what their role is going to be Uh, you know those expectations with the staff I think is very important but but there should also be a lot of communication in terms of that expectation Uh, I could think of managing a lot of phone calls with associates before they even start of making sure that they understand what the first day is going to look like what the first week is going to look like what the first month is going to look like what the first year is going to look like so so Walk me through what you guys are doing, you know, in that regard, in the before that person even shows up, how do we, how should we be managing uh, these situations?
2: So I'll, I'll talk just kind of the big picture. And I think it'll be um, interesting to get Adam's perspective on kind of that day-to-day, the nitty gritty at a granular micro level. So big picture is the assumption here that we're having here is that, that the new graduate veterinarian that's coming into your practice, you've done all the due diligence. So this is the perfect fit. We are, as you well know, a culture-driven practice. That, to me, is, is absolutely fundamental. So we all agree to, here is our mission, here is the core values. These are the non-negotiables. So the, the assumption is, on the employer's side, that you've hired that right individual and then as the newly minted graduate veterinarian, you've done your due diligence, due diligence to say, yes, this is the practice that I want to be a part of. So that's the assumption there. So I think really how I look at it as the proverbial employer is we want to create an environment that maximizes the success for this newly minted graduate veterinarian, right? So what does that look like? And I think it starts first and foremost with the little things. So, for instance, making sure that that individual has the mentor, and that mentor is based on a few things. At least in our in our practice, number one, we like to fit that individual based on where we feel that individual's strengths lies. So, let's say, for instance. Um, I have a, um, a, a new veterinarian who's coming on board that loves surgery. I'm going to probably align that individual with somebody who has a strong interest in surgery, right? Because we know that if there's mutual interest. So mentorship and finding that right mentor for that individual, we introduce that individual way before they start. And I think that's important too, that you want to, you want to do some preliminary steps before that person arrives at that clinic. So for us, it's all that preparatory stuff. So it's everything from employment, um, uh, paperwork that they have to do, making sure that they've got all the right licensure, malpractice, health, and the things that we all think about, but we're all always, we wait until that first day, make sure all that stuff is done before they start, right? Because we're all nervous that first day. And so what we try to do when that first day hits, it's all about let's show them all the little things. Like, for instance, every single team member that you're gonna be working with. Here's Betty. Betty's been with us 15 years. There is nothing that she has not seen in veterinary medicine, right? Why? Because that's those comfort zones. Number two, every all the little things like here's your desk. And I am a firm believer, like if you've been in any practice, we all have our desks, right? So one of the things that we do is we rotate desks. Why? Because we know you can pick up so much stuff just by sitting next to a Dr. Adam who's on the phone, right? So I'm going to put that person next to that mentor in their office. So here's your office. Here's your mailbox. Here's your voicemail. All those little, here's where the bathroom is. Here's where the, here's where the, um, the, the, um, the kitchen areas, all those little things on that first day we take for granted. Like here's where to park, here's where to come in, all of that type of stuff, I think we take we 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 don't think about it, but it means so much to that new employee as far as that goes. And so the first day, and I won't take too much more time, but that first day is all about shadowing. That first week is all about shadowing, right? Because so many and so many clinics, all right, go ahead and see your first client. No, don't do that. I think the, the key thing for us is that first day is little things matter, making sure that they feel comfortable, a part of the, the environment. And number two, shadowing really takes takes a, a big priority. And Adam, why don't you talk a little bit about how we do shadowing?
0: Oh, Adam, you're muted. Let me uh...
1: Yeah. Dan Perfect. nailed it on the head. I mean, a lot of this is the preparation prior to that person starting, right? So we, we do the interview process. We acknowledge that we're right for this person. They are right for us. We're mutually going to help each other, accomplish each other's goals. From that point forward, there's a lot of preparation work. The last thing we want is, oh crap, it's June 15th and so-and-so starting tomorrow. So part of that is on the doctor front. We don't want to surprise on our doctors. We don't want them to go, oh, my God, we're going to be overstaffed. What's that going to do to my hours? Am I going to lose my surgery day? Um, Does that mean I can take more time off? So it's individually sitting with each doctor and telling them their role. Here's what my expectation is of you. This is how this is going to personally affect you, hopefully in a good way. Here is why we are doing this. Guys, we are hiring simply because we are growing, and that's a credit to all of you guys. So we handle our doctors from the technician standpoint. We all know the backbone of the practice is those lead technicians in the back. Same thing, painting a vision of them. Guys, we have a new doctor coming on. My goals and expectation for this doctor per her goals or his goals are we want to get them here. So my lead surgical tech, here's what I need from you. From my other technicians, guys, there's going to be a little bit more handholding. They don't have a lot of clinical experience. From our CSRs. Guys, this is not a regular scheduled doctor. To Dan's point, the first two weeks, this is strictly shadowing. I want them on the schedule, but I want them simply mirroring me. Okay, day two, I want you to maybe break them open into some puppy vaccines. So there's there, there's a vision and a clear path of where we're gonna go. From my standpoint, hopefully I've done my due diligence ahead of time. And we've had talks and discussions and I know exactly from day one, or they know what my expectation is of them. And I've made it very clear what I'm hoping to do with them. We are going to meet weekly your first week outside the clinic, just to make sure we're still there. What scares, what fears do you have? Um, the next month we're going to sit there, recalibrate your goals. I'm going to go over some strategic list of things. We're going to cover the first three months, simply an ear infection, how to do a proper spay, these types of things. But to Dan's point, the shadowing is absolutely critical. I think the worst thing you can do is throw a doctor into a schedule and say, hey, go get them. Because what are you doing? You're reactive mentoring. You're simply going there on a need to know basis and telling them what they need to know, as opposed to shadow me for two weeks in real time. I'm going to walk through how I do these cases. A, so you can get the flow of our practice. B, you can start to acclimate to the environment. Uh, You can start to get used to our software. You can start to learn some delegation tools as far as how you're going to call back blood work and phone calls and deal with the staff and drop vaccines. Just get, get comfortable. Our whole premise is to build them up, build confidence. And the number one way to build confidence is to have them start off the ground running. And it starts that first second they walk in the clinic. And I've heard nightmare stories of people showing up in their first day and people are surprised they're there. So our thing is I want balloons. I want the front staff to call them by name. When they come around that corner, I want all my doctors sitting there and welcoming them. I mean, go back to high school and it's like that party where you're the last person there and you you walk in and it's, how how, are, how is this going to be? Am I, the, am I the one everybody's going to immediately be staring at? You want it to be where ground one, they have this warm feeling of, I'm part of something special here. Because Let's be honest. A lot of us can interview like the best of them and hire and blow smoke up their butt, but then you have to deliver. And deep inside that is all their fear as well is, Was I taken? Am I going to show up and this was simply a big sales pitch or did I make the wrong choice? Day one, second one, you want to reinforce, you absolutely made the right choice. We are going to commit to everything we talked about. And for Dan and I, that's so special because it's all about retention. I don't want to turn around and have to do this every single year. The only people I want to bring on board are because we're expanding and we're growing. So, Yeah, it's absolutely critical, but there's a lot that goes into it. It's simply not, we we got them hired and they're starting June 15th. All right, let's rock.
2: So, for instance, I think as the, talking on the employer end, um, I think it's important that you have clearly defined goals that you want for this individual. So week one, what's week one? Week one for us is learning our practice management software, learning the flow of the practice. Like, so for instance, think of all the little things it takes from a client who enters your practice to go into an exam room. Um, We we will occasionally have uh, some of our new graduate doctors, particularly if they've never been in a clinical situation, we'll have them spend the day with the CSR. We'll have them spend the day with the technician. We'll have them spend the day with the surgical technician. Why? One, first and foremost, if you're a culture-driven organization, you're going to have a better appreciation when you see all the things that a technician does throughout the day, all the things that a CSR does throughout the day. So it may be something as simple as that. So what are the goals that you have week one, week two? Because so many times what we do is we're already looking at six months down the road. So we throw them into all these cases. You've got to set these, uh, a new hire up for success. And so to get to Adam's point too, we don't want to forget what the individual goals are for that for that um that new hire. So we also make sure before they start, here's your 3-month goals, your 1 and your 3-month goals. And again, it may be something as simple as what does a junior wellness package look like in your practice? How do we promote parasiticides? What kind of parasiticides do we use? Um the more that they're comfortable with that type of stuff, that's going to help all the little things that become You know, a big issue with so many new graduates: time management, confidence. Because here's the thing: if I can get you confident on some of the what's perceived as really the easy cases, think about it—the vaccine appointment, that type of stuff. But yet, if you think about all the things that go on with a vaccine appointment, just break it down. Um, If I can build up success with that individual on a vaccine appointment or a new puppy, I'm a big believer of taking a new graduate veterinarian and walking them through step by step all the things that they need to know for a new puppy owner. And let's think about it. Um, A history and a physical exam doesn't take that long. But what are maybe some of the two big issues for a a new puppy owner? Doc, my puppy's biting and chewing. And doc, how do I get them housebroken? If I can solve that issue, I've got you eating out of my hands. You don't learn that you don't necessarily learn that in vet school. So right. we spend a lot of time doing that type of stuff. So how do we do that? I mean, at the, at the end of the day, how do we do that in our practice? We will then say, maybe week one, you're gonna learn how to do a new puppy exam. So you're gonna go in with an Adam, you're gonna go in with maybe another associate doctor and just learn a puppy exam from the very first um, appointment. Puppy exam, appointment number two. Puppy exam appointment number three. that may be first week goal right then right then and there. so my my point is for a um a new hire ask what does week one look like? What does week two look like? What does week three look like? I think those are important. and you know what you know something, Cody? I'm never asked that. I don't think I've ever been asked, I shouldn't say ever. I'm very seldom am I asked those types of questions, the whole, like, what does an onboarding experience look like week one, week two at your hospital? And those are incredibly important um, questions asked. One of the things that we will do with um, a new hire, and I, I'll say this all the time, Adam backed me up on this, your first day, you want to know how you bond to the practice? You can bond to the staff just with probably within less than five minutes. It's a little pearl that I picked up. Bring some food day one. Bring some cookies. Bring some homemade bread, right? Because we know our team members will do anything for food, right? The secret,
0: um, the secret weapon, the kryptonite of a veterinary clinic. Right? It is
1: it absolutely <laughs> is. until Stephanie is gluten-sensitive and she's like, You son of a bee. I mean, this is you're bringing donuts to my practice. Hey, but one other thing to add to that, that behind the scenes we're doing, and I think every practice is doing it, unwillingly or not, is a lot of what you're doing is deconstructing these vets coming out of vet school and and normalizing them and then building them back up to where we want to get them. Because let's be honest, I mean, I, I can think of my last recent doctor, she was scared to death to use prednisone and she was scared... Or I mean, look at me, that first colitis case I have, it was deconstructing me back to, okay, let's look at this from a practical normal dog is here for grooming with some bloody diarrhea. So it's 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 that let's get out of the school mode. That let's try and think of this in a realistic expectation. I mean, Dan says this all the time. I, you don't have to remember your 20 differentials for P U P D. Let's look at this specific case and see how we can start to um, realistically look at this i could tell you 95% of the time probably what it's going to be and i'm not sure there's going to be that 5% outlier that we that we may tie into but deconstruct and then reconstruct
0: oh absolutely from a you know from a large animal perspective man i couldn't even think of like what i learned at vet school versus what real cow vet practice is is completely different so you know i'm i'm essentially prepped to train a a veterinarian from day one from scratch you're a hundred percent right you you do need to to break that down but also communicate to let them know that that's okay that's what the expectation is that is you know this is what I've done every time and and I hired you because you seem like a great person and now I'm going to make you a great cow vet you just need to give me a couple years to be able to do that but yeah to 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 alleviate some of that fear of of they don't know something, right? It, it, it takes time, and I'm and, and sure that's not just a cow vet perspective that that goes across all areas of of mixed animal or small animal as well. The you know just thinking about how practices, you know, I I want to stress with utmost importance of of everything we talked about in the prep before that person gets there of what practices can do so so how i manage that is is The practice manager and myself, uh, as we recognize this as becoming more and more important, simply created an onboarding checklist. And I know it sounds like a a very simple thing, but I would like to see the stats on how many vet clinics have an onboarding checklist to go through. And it was a a simple two-page document, but it was literally checking off health insurance, done, Uh, new vehicle, done. Uh, cleaning out their, their truck. I used to, so we would get, usually what would happen is the, the one of the more senior veterinarians would get a new truck and then the, the new associate would get a uh, you know, one of, one of their trucks. So they would get a vet box and they'd get a pickup truck. I would, I would like physically go out and make sure it was clean because I remember how disappointed and frustrated I was that I got gifted a, uh, a completely filthy, you know, cow shit laden uh, pickup truck as my first vehicle that I, which I was super proud of. Uh, You know, this was the, the symbol of cow vetism is driving around in a pickup truck with a vet box on the back, but, but just checking off is the truck detailed is the vet box cleaned. uh we we even did some things in terms of of initiating the the culture into the practice um it it was a vet tech that came up with this idea so i won't take credit for it but we would make sure every new vet that was coming in every new hire that was coming in we gave them a document of uh just kind of like cultural uh isms of the practice of just like little inside jokes to 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 let them in on. So like where the best place to stop for pie was, or, or who, um, you know, who was a good place to linger a little late if it was, if it was going to be supper time. So like who, you know, which ranch wife had the best home cooking or, uh, you know, who, who to watch out for as like kind of a, a nudge and a wink of like, who are you, who are you going to get in trouble with? And, and, you know, a very sort of family focus but, but showing them that, that, our culture is lighthearted and that we love our clients and and you know just let them in on on some of that was really important but yeah just just making a checklist just sit down it'll take 30 minutes make a checklist of what this you know what should this look like so when they walk in they only need to worry about being a great veterinarian like i said before
2: and again, I think that goes back to what you guys were saying is you set up for success. Uh, and, and, you know, sometimes I forget because in, like in our practice, as you well know, we're onboarding two to four new grad, new graduates literally every year. And you're right, like our practice manager oversees everything from voicemails to business cards. But I'll tell you one pearl that I picked up from Dr. Jim Delano out in California and, and we started doing this now. And at, when I first heard this, I'm like, oh, really? I don't think this is going to matter. And it's one of the single best things that we do for the onboarding process. And we give every new graduate a $1,000 stipend that they use specifically for a new professional wardrobe. And I have to, and, you know, we forget, we were all vet students when we were dirt poor or broke, uh, but we forget, you know, that they don't have the financial resources and what I find is they will stretch a dollar out like beyond anybody that I know and it just gives them that little bit of confidence as they're coming into that practice and it's it's one of the pearls that we picked up uh, maybe four or five years ago. Now I don't know what will be specific for your hospital but how do you want to differentiate yourself to, so that at the end of the day you're letting that new graduate know, that he or she is special, that you chose this individual out of everybody else. And 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 what's that niche gonna look like, that little special pearl gonna look like in your practice? I yeah. think that that to me is 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 one of the secret sauce.
0: Absolutely. On the mentorship topic, so so this is this is an interesting thing that I just always like to think about when it comes to facilitated. Mentorship versus natural chemistry mentorship. So, an example would be say, in my veterinary school, uh, you would get paired with a clinician in a facilitated mentorship program or a professor in a facilitated mentorship program. And they were super hit or miss, right? Uh, depending on whether or not there was natural chemistry that existed. That's so important for mentorship. So when you're, you know, it's the difference between falling in love and an arranged marriage. Now, an arranged marriage can certainly be successful. There's, there's a, it can be more successful at times than, than a chemistry-based relationship. But but the same thing applies with, with mentorship, right? So you can have some real duds when it comes to that, that facility uh, you're interested in surgery, and this person's interested in surgery, and we're going to put you together. And you think because you're such a smart person with a high emotional intelligence that, that this is going to be a great mentorship uh, experience. And it just isn't there just there is not that level of chemistry there to make it successful. So you know, so speak to that of how, as a practice, uh, owner that you are recognizing that and pivoting on that, because that, I think it's really, really important to, to recognize if it's jiving or not.
1: Hey, I'll add, I'll add one thing and, um, I'll end with this. Cause my kids are ripping the curtains off the wall and swinging from the chandelier right now. So, so I'll end with this and Dan and I are big guys on this. I, I think going back to day one, it's, you want to create an environment where you're giving them the opportunity for leadership, right? Oftentimes they come in and they immediately take that submissive role and they just do what they're told. We empower them from day one to say, look, you have a choice. You have a choice that you can either become a leader or you can be a follower within this practice. Now a leader oftentimes takes that assumption that you're the one making all the calls and you're the, you're the, you're the, um, the head honcho in the clinic. That's not necessarily true. I mean, we define mentorship as somebody that creates a vision, inspires other, uh, acts as a role model, uh, empowers other people around them. So we take them aside and say, "Which which choice? You're you're a little tiny seed here, and you can either feed that and water that and have that grow into this mentorship leadership tree, or this thing could go into a drought and shrivel away to be nothing." But everybody comes in at an equal playing field. It's what you're going to do with that leadership. So our goal not only is to help you accomplish your your personal goals but to make you a substantial leader and here's some ways you can do that but it's going to take it's going to take effort on your side in engaging with the staff and taking some proactive roles and not doing necessarily the way that Betty Lou does things do things your own that's why we hired you be yourself and then take on take on some some continue to challenge yourself and ultimately at the end of this you're going to be a pretty substantial person
2: So I think, I think you raise a great point, uh, Cody, in the sense of, does it always have to be somebody where all your interests are completely aligned and in some, I mean, it's definitely a good starting point, but that isn't really, to me, the secret sauce of a good mentoring relationship. Now, with that said, if somebody came to me and said, I got a strong interest in exotics and dentistry, I'm probably not going to line that person with Adam because if it takes more than five minutes for him to extract a tooth. Uh, he won't do it. Uh, and so so I do think there has to be some, some common areas of interest. But for me, it's all about relationship. Are these two individuals aligned relationally? And so one of the things that we have done over the last, I think, three to five years in particular, is we've taken some of our new graduate veterinarians that are two to three years out to me that because one, they can identify. I mean, look at me. It's really hard for me, quite honestly, to identify with student loan debt. Because uh, quite frankly, when I graduated, my 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 combined debt with my wife uh, was less than $10,000. That's hard for me to relate to. De- I can intellectually say, what's it like to have? I can sit down and, and talk to them how to do budgets. But for me to say, I've got a hundred and fifty or $200,000 student loan debt, I can't relate to that. And so I think there is a relational aspect. So if I take somebody who's already been through this process two or three years ago that may have some similar interest to me, that's the foundation of building a relational, trust-filled mentorship relationship. Because they're going to share stuff that may, they, they may be unwilling to share with me as, as the proverbial boss or as the older practitioner. Um, And so that that's where you start breaking down barriers. And so if the if your practice environment is already committed to mentorship, so that's the first process. If you don't have a culture of mentorship, you've got to, as the proverbial owner, you've got to start saying how what does that look like? What are the wants, needs, and desires of this next generation of of veterinarians? So you know, we always jokingly talk about. When a fifty-five-year-old guy starts to do Instagram, why do I do it? Because that's the stuff that matters with with young graduate veterinarians. So it matters to me. So find the things that matter to them, and then start building your farm system. Because now we have a great farm system where I can take a doctor Nicole who's been out three years and say, "She matter of fact, she just finished her um, her one-year mentorship with with a new graduate, Doctor Alex." And they're just, they happen to be great friends. Nicole just bought a house and Alex is going to help her go and do painting and and that type of stuff. They have a lot of mutual interest in in the restaurants when restaurants eventually open back up in Chicago. So I think it's those types of things that you're going to want to try to shoot for. Now, is that always practical in a two or three doctor practice? No, Uh, but you want to start moving in that direction, I think is what you want to go for.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If you're, if you're really uh, a smaller practice and you don't have a, a lot of additional resources for mentorship, I think it's, it's fine to be looking outside of the four walls of your practice as well. There's lots of opportunity. Maybe it's a neighboring practice. Maybe it's a friend from vet school. Maybe like there's, there's so many opportunities to ensure that mentorship is in place. So that's a good point. If we're boiling it all down, um, you know, for, for practice owners, how to make this all work, I, th- I think we've spelled it out pretty good, right? Setting expectations, uh, p- making sure that there's an integration of culture and, and making it as easy as possible. And then fostering that mentorship once they're in, uh, so shadowing and fostering mentorship. I think that's, that's all super important. I, I guess my final question or, or, you know, just musing is, is what do you do if you're a new graduate and you show up on day one and it is the complete opposite of all this warm and fuzzy stuff that Cody, Adam and Dan have now been talking about. That that you get thrown into a super complicated case on your first appointment and that vet takes off and you don't have a phone and you're on call and you you can't afford a new pair of khakis. And like, what what do you do? What do you I don't have an answer. You know, I have some some answers, but I don't have a concrete answer for what you should do. That's a really terrible situation that 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 you're facing, and it's hard to navigate. Yeah.
2: First and foremost, the, the long-term view says this, because I was in that very same situation. My first job that I took, I knew in the first, if not the first week, the first two weeks, I can remember coming home to my fiancé, now wife, and saying, I made a mistake. I'm in, the wrong, I'm in the wrong job. But I will tell you, that's what's going to teach you grit and resilience. Plus, the other thing it's going to teach you is this. When you are in a position where maybe you're going to be a medical director one day, a practice owner, a partner, that's, that's going to be a great opportunity to say, here's the things I'm not going to do. So that's kind of that long-term view. But the short-term view, let's just go back to your question, which is a great question. What do you do? You're by yourself. You got that disaster case. There's no uh, vets around. What do you do? What I have found in virtually every veterinary practice that I have been in, um, no matter how toxic the culture, uh, no matter how dysfunctional, there's usually, usually, um, it's extremely rare not to have some technician that's got incredible amount of experience that you got to reach out to. Because you know and I know you'll learn as much from your team members, the CVTs, the technicians, as you do from fellow veterinarians. I would grab on and latch onto that individual and say, hey, would you mentor me? Just to something as simple as that question of saying, hey, would you be there for me? If I've got questions, are you willing to allow me to come to you? And so even in an environment like that, which is breaks my heart when I hear that, try to go to those individuals. Maybe they're going to be the non-DVMs and try to learn from them. Um, That would be my advice.
1: I mean, my thing to that would be, it's like anything in life. When you're faced with adversity, you you got two paths. You can sit and piss and moan about it and say all the things that are wrong. And this is so unfair. Or you can control the circumstances that you, I mean, you control what variables you can. I mean, you can't always control the circumstances that are thrown your way. You can control the two ways, your attitude and your effort in that situation. Now, it may not be ideal, and it's not forever. To Dan's point, I think he knew at the end of that year he was going to leave. But you maximize and you squeeze every possible thing you can. If you are thrown into that situation where you don't have a lot of mentoring, look for any outside counsel. Look for some outside mentorship. Um, Take the lead on that case and see what you can do with it because chances are by the end of that, you're gonna, it may have been scary as hell, but you just overcame a huge obstacle. And then you refine that. What I would personally do, I would squeeze everything I could out of that job. The second I got home from that job, I'd start looking and seeing what else is out there from the standpoint of, not to say I'm gonna commit on it, but I would start at least dialoguing. I wouldn't sit there for two, three, four years. I would go back to the fact of, I took this job based upon the fact they promised me that they were going to help me accomplish my personal goals. If at the end of that year, they aren't making any strides to help me accomplish my personal goals, then I'm going to move on. And unfortunately, you've lost a year, but it's one year. You recalibrate, maybe three, four, five, six months in, you've already started dialoguing and started reorienting what you're going to do. So it's not, okay, year ends and let's start over. But big picture stuff, I mean, it really comes down to what kind of attitude and you have throughout that situation
2: you know you know know, cody one of the things that i love about if i may say this the next generation of veterinarians is this unlike when i graduated we had it wrong grant you we didn't have the mentorship that we have today even though i'm a strong believer that veterinary medicine is very much an apprenticeship based profession but how we were taught is if you didn't know something or you're getting into trouble unless you were that patient was going to die You had to tough it up and you shouldn't ask anybody. And what I love about this generation is they're not afraid to ask. We know how scary smart they are. And so my point is, don't be afraid to reach out to others. Get on that phone with a consultant, um, get on VIN, um, reach out to that senior technician who probably has thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours of experience. Think of how many surgeries you have done where that technician is watching. I mean, Adam and I have said this many a times, probably majority of the procedures that we do, our technicians can do. I mean, they have wealth of information. I have personally learned more about communicative skills, how to work an exam room from technicians than I have fellow doctors. So don't forget, always ask. If, if in doubt, ask the question, grab somebody who you, may, who you may least suspect may have the answers for you.
0: Right. No, that's a great point. And that's the beauty of today in 2020 of how many resources we have available in terms of online resources for mentorship or or the, the ability to... to FaceTime with another veterinarian mid case to to yep. to work through it. There's so many services now. I've been looking at that lately. I'm just blown away with how accessible every specialty is to be able and, and it's so affordable as well to be able to work through some of these things. And one of the things that that I've Adam alluded to, but I I did you know, have talked to friends and mentees about this is, is it is not prison. It is a job and you, you are important. And if you need to pull the rip cord before a year is up, then that's fine. Cause it's not prison. It, yeah, you have a contract. It's clearly defined on how you would leave that before the year is up. And, and that is, is perfectly fine. And if it's, a choice between your mental well-being and 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 going to work, then you choose yourself. Always, always choose yourself first. It is so important. It is not slavery. It is not prison. You can leave at any time. You can just not show up. And it will be okay. There may be consequences. There's consequences for everything we do. But if, and most of the time, you know, they're going to see that coming. They're going to not be able to look themselves in the mirror and say, there's, I did everything possible for this veterinarian. It's just not, it's just not the case. And and I absolutely agree, Cody. And, And this is, this
2: is one of my biggest concerns today is we know our new graduates are, are, are heavily in debt. And so many times they're enticed to take that job with the 10 15 20 thirty thousand dollar hiring bonus oh but guess what if you don't stay for one year or two years you have to give it give it back and so they feel like they're in a situation they're not getting the mentorship but then on the back you know kind of this big old gorilla that says hey if, uh, if I don't if I don't um, work for the whole year I got to give that twenty thousand dollars at fifteen thousand and my response to you if you're in that situation it's better It is better to leave, as you say, pull the ripcord and pay that money back and get yourself in the right environment that's going to pour into you than to stay and bear it out. It's just not worth
0: it. Yeah. Well, and also just the long term, you are, you know, that the right practice will invest in you to be a high performer and that's going to equate to money in your pocket and the total lifetime earning potential of you being in the right place versus the wrong place is a lot bigger than 20,000. It's a lot bigger than 40,000. It's a lot bigger than a hundred thousand. So, so yeah, That's 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 a, that's a great point. Well, let's wrap it up today guys um yeah hopefully hopefully we've helped some people out and we'll let uh we'll let everybody get back to to our children who um are sure at the at the wits end of uh my house is half moment. on
1: fire and one of my kids has a bloody nose right now so i'm, is, I'm
0: scared to go all
1: <laughs> An hour on podcasting.
0: I'm scared to go upstairs as well. <laughs>
1: they tried to cook bacon on their own.
0: <laughs> oh, yikes.
1: All right. Got to go, Bye. Right. Burning down the house. Yay. All right. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Appreciate
2: it. Thanks, Cody.